Well, now, you may not know much about the book of Haggai, apart from the fact that it's full of horrendous names. Um, I want to use that reading from Haggai, too, as the basis for our meditation this morning, because I believe it has a real message for us here at Linfield as we begin a new year. So let me give you some background. In 597 BC, the Babylonians had razed Jerusalem to the ground. There was virtually nothing left. They'd taken almost all the Jewish people into exile. But about 60 years later, the political situation changed. The Babylonian Empire was itself overwhelmed by a more powerful enemy, the Persians. And in the fullness of time, the Jewish exiles were allowed to return to Jerusalem and start to rebuild it. Now, if you know anything of this story, it's a tremendously exciting story, you'll know what a dangerous and difficult task it was. Initially, the Persian king Cyrus allowed a man called Nehemiah to go back to rebuild the city. He was given permission and authority, money and resources, but he had to face fierce opposition from the surrounding tribes. And most notably, he had to contend with two rogues, two Torags called Tobiah the Ammonite and Sanballat the Horonite. And they were prize stinkers. They really were. They tried to frustrate Nehemiah at every turn, but the weapon they used most was discouragement. They spread lies about him. They told the king he was really leading a rebellion. They threatened to stop the building. But in the end, Nehemiah's courage and persistence won through, and he managed to rebuild the walls and the city gates. But when he and his colleague Ezra laid the foundations of the temple, their enemies forced a halt to the whole project, and it remained a ruin. Well, Life went on in a fairly predictable way. The people built houses. They made a living from trading and commerce. The governor of Judah, now part of the Persian Empire, was the infamous, well, he's not infamous at all, really, was Zerubbabel. He was descended from King David, and so he had considerable influence and status. And in the year 520 BC, a prophet called Haggai brought him and the high priest this message from God. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. But is it a time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while the house of the Lord remains a ruin? Well, in spite of their enemies' threats, the people responded to Haggai's challenge. So the first source of discouragement was overcome. But there was a second source of discouragement, and it didn't come from Tobiah and Sanballat. It came from within the community of God's people. You see, some of them had been very young, very, very young, tiny infants, but nevertheless, they could remember when they were taken into exile, when their parents and grandparents were taken into exile, they could remember just what Solomon's temple looked like. And this attempt at rebuilding was just pathetic. A bit like replacing the Albert Hall with a prefabricated garage. 
Haggai knew how they felt and how discouraging everyone would be if such an attitude was allowed to to develop. And so in verses 3 and following of chapter 2, he asked, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Now, we've been tremendously fortunate, haven't we, to be able to use the airwaves to broadcast the heart of the Christian message on the Gift FM. What a fantastic achievement that was in so many ways. Every time I think of it, I want to jump up and down and cheer. It united the churches, inspired the young people, and changed some of the young people, actually. And it gave us the opportunity to put the gospel back on the agenda, and that's where it needs to be. Because there are people in our society who would love to marginalize the gospel. Oh, yes. But we're here to keep the rumor of God alive. And we're not going to be marginalized. So how do we deal with discouragement? How do we deal with the modern equivalents of Tobiah the Ammonite and Sanballat the Horonite? How do we counter discouragement? This is how we do it. We listen to the message that God wants us to hear. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like nothing? Do you see, sometimes feel like that when you look at the state of the church and the Christian community? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. The first thing that we've got to do is stop looking through the wrong end of the telescope. Stop looking through the wrong end of the telescope. The people who remembered Solomon's temple had their minds rooted in the past. It's a great thing to look into the past and remember how God has carried us through the tough times. But it's also a bad thing if we use the perspective of the past to evaluate the present. You see, our radio station, The Gift FM, bore all the hallmarks of a miracle. It really did. And if you don't believe me, ask Dan after the service. Because in a very real sense, it was his inspiration and flair that moved this on and brought it into being. The time was right. The young people had that gorgeous week after they broke up from school and before Christmas. The opportunity presented itself. The people whose advice, guidance, and expertise we needed were all available. All the doors that needed to open seemed to fly open of their own accord. Why? Because the word of the Lord comes to us, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, and work. Don't give up. Work, for I am with you declares the Lord Almighty, and this is the evidence of God's presence and activity amongst us. God is with us. He's working. So we need to to share that wonderful encouragement. 
It's easy to listen to discouraging voices, to allow them to depress and disable us. Our spiritual enemy wants to do that in every way he can, both in our personal walk with Christ and in our life together as a witnessing community of God's people. Of course, there's no room for complacency. Of course, there isn't. Our Christmas outreach was very effective. But there are yawning gaps in our church life here at Linfield URC. We still have no one to edit our Good News church magazine. And quite soon, we shall have to replace other people who've been doing vital administrative jobs when, for perfectly valid reasons, they stopped doing them. We can't have passengers, dear friends. If Jesus isn't, isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. We need more people to commit themselves and their time and energy because we can't allow the burden to bear down on fewer and fewer volunteers. Later on this year, we'll be challenging the whole fellowship to consider how everyone can increase their commitment through a stewardship campaign. But in a sense, we can't wait till later this year. This is something we need to address right now, on January the 1st. And that's why it's appropriate that we should be ordaining two new elders this morning. And we'll do that later on. Elders, what are they? Elders are the spiritual leaders of the church. They're not the church committee. And they're not the pastor support group, although supporting the pastor is a vital part of their function. They're the men and women to whom the Holy Spirit has committed the care and nurture of the church, the sheep for whom Christ shed his blood. And that's an awesome responsibility. When you get home, make a note to pray for Val and Terry as they begin their term as elders here at Linfield. But you see, if elders have the responsibility to lead, then the rest of us have the responsibility to follow. It's no good expecting someone to lead if the bulk of the church is not prepared to follow. We need to keep the rumor of God alive. Of course, he will never leave himself without a witness. But if we fail to live out our faith in a practical way, our claim to love and follow Christ is mere hypocrisy. Like many of us, I pray every day for persecuted Christians. And you know, I'm challenged constantly, constantly by their strength and integrity and their faith. For instance, there's a mother in a Pakistani prison under sentence of death on a false charge of blasphemy who refuses to deny her Lord. She's there as I speak. On my study wall, I have a, the picture of Artes Sulyominov, a pastor from Uzbekistan who gave his life for his faith. And when I think about people like these, I ask myself, how real, how real is my claim to follow a crucified saviour? You see, Jesus made it very clear, didn't he? In the world you will have trouble. But he said, take heart, I have overcome the world. Did you see the pictures of the funeral of Kim Jong-il? the erstwhile dear leader of North Korea last week, rank, rank upon rank of goose-stepping soldiers marching by, tens of thousands of people weeping at the passing of a man who subjected them to famine and degradation. 
It's appalling, isn't it, to think of the vice-like grip of tyranny in that benighted country. But don't give up hope, because one day liberation will come, no matter how unlikely it may seem at the moment. Nikita Khrushchev, do you remember him? He was the little man who used to bang his shoes at the United Nations. He followed Stalin as leader of the erstwhile Soviet Union. And he said that by the end of the 1960s, he would be able to point to the last orthodox priest in Russia. Well, not only has the tide of history swept him aside, but the Soviet Union itself has gone. And the orthodox church is stronger than it has been for decades. In 1988, the year before the fall of communism, and the end of the Soviet Union, there were 7,000 working Orthodox churches in Russia and 21 monasteries. Today, there are more than 24,000 churches, 638 monasteries, while in Moscow, they're even turning nightclubs into places of worship. Now, of course, of course, there are difficulties and problems. Of course there are. But when we're discouraged, we've got to stop listening to men and women and start listening to God. Who is left of you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. And he is. He is with us. Do you remember the story of Gideon? It's a wonderful story. He was discouraged, like everyone else was in Israel at the time. The Midianites, a fierce tribe of desert raiders, were terrorizing God's people, not even allowing them to reap their harvest. When Gideon was told that God had chosen him to throw out the invaders and set the people free, to coin a phrase, he was gobsmacked. I don't know if you've ever heard of Hannah Whittle Smith, an American lady whose profound influence this side of the Atlantic helped to found the Keswick Convention. This is what she says about the call of Gideon. The Lord called Gideon to deliver his people from the oppression of the Midianites. But Gideon was a poor unknown man of no family or position and no apparent fitness for so great a mission. Looking at himself and his own deficiencies, he naturally became discouraged and said, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. Other men, he felt, who had power and influence might perhaps accomplish this great work, but not one so poor and insignificant as himself. How familiar does this sort of talk sound to anyone who's been the victim of discouragement? How sensible and reasonable it seems. But what did the Lord think of it? The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. God says only, I will be with you. Not one word of encouragement does he give to Gideon or us. 
about our own capacities or fitness for the work required, but merely the bare statement of the fact, as though it were sufficient for all possible needs. To all words of discouragement, this is the invariable answer. I will be with you. I am with you. It is an answer that precludes all possibility of argument or any further discouragement. I, your creator and redeemer. I, your strength and your wisdom. I, your omnipresent and omniscient God. I am with you to protect you through everything. No enemy will hurt you. No strife of tongues shall disturb you. My presence shall be your safety and your sure defense. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. And as the new year dawns, that's all we need to know. Amen. And now, as a response, we're going to have a solo. You'll find it at number... Can you tell me the number, Jenny? 382. 382.